This is the Horse Radio Network. Arena footing has come a long way in recent years. There are so many options out there. We break it down this week with an expert. We'll also get an educational one-on-one on when to use studs. Thanks for tuning in. From Heels Down Mag, a podcast where horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome, Welcome to Happy, Happy Hour. Hour. I'm Justine Griffin. I'm Jessica Payne. And I'm Ellie Wasnicka. Welcome to episode 95 of Heels Down Happy Hour. So Ellie, you were just telling me that you have a $500 electric bill. Can you yes. please explain? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So I I think it's just because it's so cold. So I don't pay for water because I have a well. So every time we use water, I mean, obviously it you know, hits the electric bill. But right now with my furnaces, like having to kick on and kick off all the time and with like steaming my hay and it's been so cold. Yeah. My electric bill, which is usually like, you know, just shy of $200 is $500 this month. Holy cow. So, um, yeah, not great. Not thrilled. (laughs) Is this the first time it's been that expensive or is that normal for you? Um, it's, that's the first time it's been this expensive, this late in the mm. um, season. Um, so like usually like, especially since now it's like coming tax season, usually now we get like a break, but it's just been, I mean, right now it's been, you know, feels like negatives here at night. So the heaters are just going constantly, which is the trouble of having a, a large house for just two people. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I pay to heat the house for my cats and my plumbing. Um, <laughs> so that's unfortunate, but, uh, yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, it'll just at least stay somewhere where I don't have to run my heaters all the time. And I don't heat it that hot. Like, my house right now is 50 degrees. Like, I have a blanket on. I have a sweater on. Like, just enough for the pipes not to freeze. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, you'll laugh because it's cold and rainy here today, but, like, cold by Florida standards. And I have the heat on to keep my house at 70 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> You're making me sound like a huge wimp. So You can do it. I believe in you. <laughs> this episode is brought to you today by Purina. So I hear you have a Valentine's Day drink for us today. Yeah, it's February. It's my birthday month. I feel like this is the time to, you know, do a little extra treat. So looking over this recipe I'm about to share with you, um, it sounds delicious, but it's kind of involved. Like this is a drink that I think I would just splurge and spend the $15 at like some fancy bar for somebody else to make it for me. I'm not sure (laughs) I would make it myself. So the ingredients are you need a half cup of ice, a half cup of um, fresh or frozen strawberries, one scoop of vanilla ice cream, an ounce of vodka. They suggest unflavored, but you could do strawberry vanilla vodka if you want. Then you're going to need some white cream liqueur, and a a strawberry for garnish. So in a blender, you're going to add the ice strawberries, vanilla ice cream, vodka, and the liqueur. Blend it all, pour it into a chilled margarita glass, and garnish with a strawberry. I feel Uh, like, though, you could make a big, like, thing of this and freeze it. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, pretty tasty. And it's not so bad. You just got to pull out the blender, I guess, you know. But I feel like I would put whipped cream on it or something. Like, if you're going to go all out, like, dress it up, 
You know? Yeah, I mean, it's, there's, it's really fruity. <laughs> it is. <laughs> there's nothing so. wrong with fruity. Okay, some of us I feel like, like it that's what I was gonna say. I was gonna say this is like right up Ellie's alley. <laughs> it is. It's a pretty pink drink, you know. So. Yeah, but knowing me, it would come out looking brown <laughs> somehow. somehow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do you got for news, Jess? You want to go first? I'll go first. So good news. It's always you know something with Olympics or World Equestrian Games or whatever else. But good news is that. 2028 Olympics that is actually going to be in Los Angeles, which is super fun. They have announced that they're definitely having equestrian in the Olympics. Now, they haven't said what disciplines are going to happen. Um, we all know like modern pentathlon had that big kind of uproar and everything else. So that's kind of they haven't determined what all is going to be the Olympics, but they definitely know that equestrian sports are going to be part of it, which is super exciting when all this controversy happening, you want to always kind of guarantee that, you know, something equestrian is going to be in the Olympics. So we don't know. We'll stay tuned to what it is, but at least something's going to happen. Yay. I know. It's good yeah. news. It's a good it's first good news. news. It's good you news. Know? Yeah. yeah. And Justine, you have a good one. What What's your news this time? It's pretty interesting. It is interesting. So it's about the Canadian show jumping team. Uh, Eric Lamaz, who is just one of my favorite riders to watch. I've always loved him since his Hickstead days. He, interesting enough, has been named the new leader of the Canadian show jumping team. So there's been some, I don't want to say drama, but definitely some bumps in the road in terms of leadership at Equestrian Canada, especially in show jumping over the last couple months, if you haven't kept up with that. But um, Mark Laskin was the former technical advisor of the show jumping team. Uh, and he was ousted semi recently after the Tokyo Olympics. And Eric, who, you know, has had some health troubles in recent years, uh, is going to take a, on this leadership role of the team, which I think is exactly what the Canadians need is someone with a veteran with his kind of experience. You know, he spent some time showing in Europe. He's really hit all the major show jumping venues you can imagine, from Spruce Meadows to World Equestrian Games. He's got four Pan Am medals. I mean, he's the real deal. So he's going to lead the, you know, their international show jumping team going forward. And I'll be really excited to see what he does. That is what exciting. You, I know. What do you got, Ellie? So I have an interesting study um, that is actually kind of a build on an earlier study but it's on anacinaminophen as a kind of substitute for non-steroidals or NSAIDs in horses uh, to help with daily aches and pains, um, but with not having the long-term side effects like kidney problems and gastric ulcers that you sometimes see with extended uh, use of things like bute and um, Equiox. So in this study, they looked at 12 horses aged between 13 and 23, all these horses were like lesson horses and therapy horses that all had mild to chronic, you know, lameness issues and were on some kind of NSAID uh, to keep them comfortable. So six horses, they scoped for ulcers uh, before and after the trial and six horses actually had their livers biopsied both pre and post experiment, I guess, uh, for toxicity. So what they found was really interesting. They found that the anacinaminophen is actually readily and rapidly absorbed in like less than an hour by the horse's body. So it's pretty fast acting as well as it not being fully understood kind of how it works um, so well. It's believed to impact 
the semi-cannabinol, I hope I said that right, um, or the opioid type systems, kind of like the way CBD works. And although it's not kind of on par on an anti-inflammatory level, such as like butte, it did seem to have a better effect on the digestive tract. So several horses in the study that had ulcers before the study had marked improvement after the 21 days on anisinaminophen. Um, like the breaks from the NSAIDs actually gave their pre-existing ulcers time to heal. So it's definitely interesting. I mean, I don't think right now it's at a point where it can be a standalone uh, medication for horses that have chronic lameness, but it is proving to be a safe and effective treatment. So hopefully we'll see more in the future because it'll definitely be cheaper than, um, you know, some of the other options for sure. And seems like safer. Yeah, that sounds super promising. I mean, I'm excited for that. And just, I feel like from a cost-effective standpoint, it's got to be a more affordable option too, right? Yeah. So um, they gave, let's see, it was 30 milligrams per one kilogram of body weight. So you're looking at like 30, 500 milligram tablets twice a day is what they did for the study. And they did that for three weeks and they didn't notice any kind of side effects in terms of the stuff we usually see with NSAIDs because it doesn't accumulate in the body the same way. Um, so since it acts faster, I guess it disintegrates faster, if that makes sense. Just another shout out to everybody who's donated to us on Patreon. We really appreciate all of your support, uh, whether you donate routinely or every once in a while. It helps us to continue to produce this show and have fun with you guys so thank you very much. And if you're interested in donating, go to patreon.com slash heels down. And that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. All right, guys. So I have a new soap I want to share with you. Um, I'm so excited. And it's obviously from our favorite soap maker, Soap for Dirty Equestrians. But they expanded their line to include a collection of liquid soaps. And they are so darn cute. So I just got some in the mail recently, and they come in a variety of different scents, but the bottle is just adorable. It comes in like a nice brown bottle, and the labels are, you know, are all different colors. So they, if you bought a collection of them, they make just really cute gifts. But anyway, so the liquid soap comes in a variety of scents. There's some familiar ones, like Stressed Out Amy is a lavender scent. But there's also some new ones. We've got like a lime scent and uh, <laughs> it's tied to a really cute name, which is my trainer was right. Um, <laughs> and the one I'm holding in my hands right now is a red label and it's called morning feed time with the tagline, the sound of horses eating straight cash. And <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. That. And the scent is apple and Ooh. it smells so good. I love it. So um, the liquid soaps are just like the bar soaps from uh, soaps from Dirty Equestrians in that it's cruelty free and vegan. So you could feel good about using this soap, but it, it's just a it's a hearty soap. It actually cleans your hands like I could see this sitting in the bathroom at the barn and being pleased that, you know, I have something an option that's not just like Dawn dish soap to wash my hands at the barn. But again, these soaps make like really great gifts. They're eight ounces. So it basically sits in my hand. That's how much soap there is. But you don't need a lot to use. So you'll like one bottle will last you plenty of time. And again, there's a wide range of scents here. So if my trainer was right is not the right one for you, you could also get would pick horses over you. <laughs> 
So you could check them out by going to shop.heelsdownmag.com and you'll see the full collection there. And uh, we're always coming up with new scents and new taglines. So if there isn't one there that speaks directly to you, keep checking back because there will always be new ones. But it's really a wonderful gift. Like I was already thinking, you know, on the shop page, you can buy them in bundles, like get two or three at a time. And I just think they make wonderful gifts, you know, like a Valentine's Day gift for someone you love or for your trainer, for your barn girlfriends, whoever makes sense for you. And if you might be seeing them in tax shops now, they're they're in tax shops nationwide and in Canada. So if you're seeing our candles out there, you might also see the soaps. But if a bar soap isn't your fancy, these uh, liquid hand soaps are really great. Yeah, they're actually at Aiken Sattery. You can find the different soaps and everything. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, they're actually yeah. they're at WEC now, too. Um, oh, one of the nice. vendors at WEC. Yeah, you could find the candles and the soaps. So they're growing. You'll you'll see them everywhere. So keep an eye out. But if you're if you can't find them locally in your own tax shop, definitely check out our website, which, again, is shop.heelsdownmag.com. Do you have an older horse that's trying to age gracefully? Trust the future with your old friend, the number one equine vet recommended senior feed, Purina Equine Senior from Purina Animal Nutrition. They're years ahead of senior research, so you can have more good years with your horse. Try Purina Equine Senior today. Put the research to the test at horseinnovation.com. So guys, I'm really excited to introduce our guest this week. Elizabeth Ballard is part of the family-owned arena installation company, Ballard Construction. They build sporting facilities, athletic fields, and specialize in arena construction and footing consultation. Elizabeth works closely with a footing manufacturer, Footing First, who is a leader in pre-mixed dust-free blends and arena matting systems. She has overseen the installations of arenas everywhere from New York to Florida and to out west, including uh, my little arena. Elizabeth is an amateur rider herself. She owns two medium amateur jumpers. Last year, she decided to take a step back from the show ring and breed her horses uh, to focus on the arena business. She currently bases out of New York and Wellington, Florida, where she is involved in equestrian surface projects weekly. Hi, Lizzie. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. So, and before we get started, I do have to share a funny story of when Lizzie was doing my arena and uh, I had her help me bring horses in and she was thoroughly initiated (laughs) because um, Matt's naughty halflinger literally just walked over her, just pushed right past her (laughs) and walked right out. Right out to the grass. So muddy. Oh my god. Yeah. So I got her all muddy. It was it was really a wonderful, um, you know, uh, no, first fun. impression. No, I love halflingers. <laughs> yeah, that that was a fun project. We had a good time. <laughs> I think I was probably more relaxed than some of uh, Lizzie's other clients uh, with my little <laughs> backyard shenanigans. Um, oh no, it was fun. <laughs> So I, you worked with me, obviously, uh, for my arena. And uh, let's just tell our listeners a little bit about like what we discussed and how we came up with like the footing options. So we know our arena was horrible to begin with. So for Jess and uh, Justine here, uh, yeah, we didn't have like any kind of sub base in the arena. They literally just put the arena on the ground. So Lizzie and her company had to come in and literally dig out boulders that were in the indoor arena. So that was fun. Uh, And then kind of talk us through the process of kind of where you went from there. Yeah. So Ellie's is cool because um, 
I mean, she's obviously multidisciplined. So kind of what we always talk about with owners is, you know, where you want to go with footing, what your maintenance needs are, what your, you know, preferences are for riding, depending on your discipline. And if I remember, you had just bought the property. So it was yep. pretty fresh. But like you said, they, and this happens with a lot of, you know, older, not that that, that facility is older, but um, kind of pre-existing barns is people don't exactly know what the base layers entail. And honestly, that's probably the most important part next to the footing. Um, so we go in and we never really know what to expect. So we went to Ellie's and yeah, it just, they just kind of put layers and layers of sand on top of subgrade essentially. So when we dug down, we knew that obviously the base is something we definitely had to address. And we always tell everybody that the, you know, from the ground up, from the bottom up is the most important. So from subgrade up, it has to be done correctly. Um, so we did that and then we kind of talked about footing options. And because Ellie does both raining and jumpers, um, it was cool because we got to kind of find a blend that worked well for everything. And it's actually one of my favorite blends that she went with. So it worked out really well. Yeah. And the name of the blend is actually, it's all right footing. Um, So it doesn't have any of the like material you'd see at like the big jumper shows. It's just the, what do you call it? It's still, it's not silica sand or is it silica sand? Yeah, so it's just a it's a high quality silica sand, um, but it is a wax sand, so there's no additives in it like you would traditionally see at the shows, the fiber, the rubber, anything like that. It's just the dust free sand. So it's it's an awesome product because it kind of binds to itself a little bit and it still will give you that stability for jumping. But depending on how you maintain it, you can, you know, dig it up a little bit with the groomer and get it a little bit looser for those Western uh disciplines and that's why kind of footing first engineered it, who we do work closely with, as Ellie mentioned. And that's kind of the play on all right is for all disciplines. That's really interesting. Ellie, I feel like you're going to have to give us an update and like a tour of your arena after this discussion, because I'm going to want to like see everything that we're talking about, you know. But Elizabeth, you know, we asked a bunch of our readers and listeners uh, for their questions, because this is a topic that like footing is, you know, it constantly comes up among people who listen to the podcast. So one of the most asked about questions we got is just what is a good cost effective way to convert a pasture to an arena? I think a lot of our listeners have, you know, horses at home in their backyards. Um, They might not have an indoor. They might not have, you know, they just have a barn in pastures. So like. I guess what what are your thoughts when assessing that is pasture good enough or you know what what is a good cost effective way to get started? Yeah, I mean I get this. I honestly get asked this all the time and I think I'm if sure. the hard thing is if you're going to build an arena, there's I there's just no kind of cheaper cost effective way to do it. You really have to do it right from the bottom up. So I think if you you know, if you didn't, maybe weren't prepared for that or didn't budget for that yet, um, definitely finding a level, stable, consistent, you know, grass field is always an awesome option. Obviously it's a little bit weather dependent. Um, I love riding on good grass as long as it's obviously mowed and it's not too slippery and there's not too many divots. So if your property does offer that, it's always an awesome option. And we actually, at Ballard Construction, we um, have done natural grass and turf for 16 years. So we do uh, manage a lot of Grand Prix fields for people. 
So having a good kind of turf maintenance on grass is definitely going to be probably one of the more cost-effective options if you kind of aren't ready to jump into building an arena because it is a big project and it's a big investment. So I have a question because like we just built an arena and everything else, but I'd love to hear from you. Like what goes into the making of the perfect footing for horse arena? Like what factors do you kind of consider? And you touched on this a little bit with discipline, but what other factors would you consider? Is it uh, location or whatnot? Yeah. I mean, for a, like when we go out and when we're talking to people, the biggest thing is we'll just talk to them about kind of use. So how often they're going to be using it, how much traffic they're going to have, the discipline, what their maintenance needs are. If they have access to a lot, you know, ample water, if they need irrigation, if it's a water dependent product, if they would prefer dust free. And obviously all those options are a little bit budget dependent. Um, so we kind of go through all of those things and definitely narrow it down. And it's a case by case basis. I mean, I have people that absolutely love you know, a good sand and fiber blend, which is what you would traditionally see at the shows. A lot of people, the dust free is a huge hit because irrigation is just, you know, it's a lot of maintenance. It's a big investment. It's expensive as well. And kind of if you're doing the dust free, it's so low maintenance. It's it's just kind of out of sight, out of mind. You don't have to worry about it when you're not riding. So that really has become a huge hit. And obviously in the winter, it's just so much less to deal with. You don't have to mag it. You don't have to water it. Um, so that's huge. So really it's, it depends on kind of a few of those different factors. And then when you get into the dust free, there's different blends, depending on preference, there's tighter blends, there's looser blends, there's blends for different disciplines. So it's, there's so many options kind of to comb through when you get into it. And how has footing like changed over the years? I feel like we see so many more high quality arenas nowadays whether at the shows you know even you know smaller local shows are having better footing and better arenas yeah absolutely i mean the shows i think we're now we're just asking so much more of our horses courses are a lot more technical we are going to so many more shows a year so i think that the footing has really had to be engineered to keep up with you know what we're asking of our horses as athletes and that's made a big difference with how it's evolved you know it used to just kind of be we were riding on good grass or you know just traditional sand really and now it's for the technical courses they're turning tighter they're going faster so we need a footing that's not going to get as quickly dug up it's going to be a little bit more stable for the horses um, and that has to do with really now more so a lot of additives so that fiber that we were talking about um, and there's You'll, if you Google it, you'll see so many co- fiber companies now um, that kind of offer that. And then it's up to the client to kind of educate themselves or talk to somebody that knows about it to um, pick the best option for them. And I know, Lizzie, we've talked about this because we've been talking about trying to do an outdoor at my facility. But why is it that outdoors are more expensive um, than indoors if you have, of course, you know, the pre-existing um, cover. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately the structures for indoors are definitely expensive. If it's already there, the thing with the outdoor is just the grading is, um, they need to be graded differently. Obviously uh, indoor just needs to be graded flat and outdoor you need some pitch to it. So there's 
usually more earthwork involved and then drainage and, you know, you're dealing with the weather and the rain and the climate. So you have to kind of engineer the arena around that. And depending on how well your property is already laid out, if you need more or less excavation, you know, the price changes a lot depending on that. So um, it's just, it's just more work involved for an outdoor Interesting. I'm glad you brought up drainage because another listener had a a question specifically about it. So they wanted to know more about putting in French drains inside the perimeter of their arena. Um, And this listener said they know that a lot of arenas in Europe put drains in the arena, but not necessarily uh, the ones we see here in the U.S. Do you know why that is? Yeah. So most of the arenas, all of the arenas that we build and most of the ones that we've worked with do have interior drains. Um, You're dealing with the elements with the outdoors. So you want to be able to get the water off of it really as soon as possible. And between the edger boards and kind of footing buildup around the edges and around the track, it's really important that you have those interior drains to kind of move the water where you need to move it. Makes sense to me. And then I had a question and a listener as well had it, but basically during the winter months, you know, the weather takes in place. And if you don't have, you know, basically an outdoor to ride in, what is the best way to basically maintain the outdoor arena with the winter weather? So this particular listener as well, sometimes has snow on the ground for four to six months of the year. Like, is there any way to kind of maintain it? Um, like what's your kind of advice without having an indoor? Um, unfortunately it's, it's really hard. I mean, we're in, I'm in upstate New York, so I'd, it's almost not possible to ride outside in the winter. <laughs> um, the indoors are so essential, but to be honest with you, those dust-free blends are really probably the most winter-resilient blends that I know, just because the way that they tend to bind to themselves, they don't you don't get the rivers of kind of material loss from when the snow is melting. Um, and that's the biggest thing is kind of the material moving between the the snow melting and kind of building back up. Um, so that's where it'll get a little bit dodgy outside throughout the winter. I think if you can find a footing that will remain stable that you can ride through and maintain properly in the winter, that's obviously a bonus, but I don't know if there's any really great way to be honest with you to maintain an outdoor through the snow, at least not where I am. Yeah. No, we found Ellie, Ellie had a good tip. She found us, or she told me, um, last episode about maybe doing a tarp because we don't get a lot of snow in North Carolina. It was more, it would just be frozen and we'd have to wait. And so we did, we found Ellie a tarp. Um, I was going to spoiler for later in the episode, talk to you about it, but basically found a tarp that like you would do like cover stuff and we've used it and it's like a hundred by hundred and we're able to ride at like eight o'clock in the morning when the rest of the ring's frozen, it stays like almost insulated. So that was thanks to Ellie. She, that was her idea. So I just didn't know if you had any others, by the way. <laughs> nice. Well, yeah. I mean, that would make sense to me if you could cover it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It, it works for us. Yeah. Lizzie and I have talked about this too, actually, because my blend from footing first, it doesn't freeze since it's not water dependent. Correct me if I'm wrong, Lizzie, but I think that's the science behind it. (laughs) Um, So yeah. So even when it's, I mean, it's literally, you know, negative degrees, especially right now, since I'm hand walking Batman all the time, it's nice because my footing is still soft. I can still drag it. You know, I'm not having that freezing problem. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's honestly where in the Northeast, the dust free has been huge because people don't have to worry about watering it, magging it. It doesn't freeze. It stays low dust. It stays super nice. So it's definitely a huge bonus. All right. So I have a personal problem again, two episodes in a row now that I'm asking you guys for your help. But actually it it started, it's Kyle Carter's fault because I was listening to him on Ride IQ and a question came up. I think it was like an office hours segment and it came up about like, when is it appropriate to use studs? And I had texted Ellie about this, like this very actual question too. So it was timely that Kyle's talking about it. And then I just talked to Ellie about it. I finally shod my horse all the way around. So he's in four steel shoes, but I noticed he's slipping out behind and just like tripping more than went before when he only had front shoes on. And Ellie had a great suggestion to maybe try a stud on his back feet just and see how it went. But Jess, I wanted to start with you. Like Kyle was saying that he does not use studs until like prelim and above and i wanted to see what you thought like when should you start considering studs especially if you're riding a horse that's shod all the way around what when are studs useful and when are they a hindrance in some ways if that makes sense i think i'm a little bit with kyle right so like i want my horse to kind of figure it out when they're young right so Mm -hmm. that they're not dependent on it so Gotcha. Especially like in Aiken or like if it's Sandy footing and stuff like that, we like in Ocala Horse Spark, like all of that, it's like very good footing, Sandy footing and all that. Like we wouldn't even probably our preliminary horses probably wouldn't even have studs in. So we just were at sporting days this past weekend. They don't go in studs. They jumped in the grass, which is like sand based though. They right. don't go in studs at all because we want them to kind of figure it out because once they get into the situation that it is a bit muddier and all of this at preliminary level and below, like they really don't need it, especially like modified and below, like they need to figure it out. The jumps aren't necessarily big enough for those horses. Like they can get out of it. So basically we want them to kind of figure out their own feet. Now, if they start slipping and it kind of makes them nervous, then yes, there's an exception where maybe we'd put in like a little bitty stud behind or up front or wherever it is that they're kind of getting uneasy. But for the most part, like if they're not kind of phased by the jump, we want them to kind of figure out where their feet are underneath them. So unless like, I mean, and if the ground's perfect and it's pretty sandy, like we wouldn't put it in until they're probably intermediate and advanced. And so if, if it's muddy or it's like, you know, pine top got snow one year and it was like super kind of muddy everything else we put those in for the preliminary horses but other than that the babies kind of figure it out and we don't want them studs can hinder them they can do a lot like kind of moving it too much like you can over stud very easily so we just don't stud that much so they probably yeah don't get studs that often we never really show jump in them unless it's weird footing that it's like not sand-based And nowadays, like most arenas are what they show jump on or it's, you know, Carolina Horse Park jumps on that beautiful derby field. Well, it's sand base. So it's like never really torn up. So it's basically like jumping in it. So it's like jumping on really nice turf. But you'll go up to Maryland or Pennsylvania or something like that. And it could get quite torn up with the mud and the clay and that gets slippery quickly. So then we definitely would put the studs in there. But yeah, for the babies, for the most part, we just kind of make them sort of figure it out to be honest now what about you ellie because i feel like from a hunter jumper perspective it's a little different yeah so i mean it's interesting hearing you know the like the eventing side of it i guess because like growing up and stuff 
anytime we were on a hunt course and it wasn't dry, especially growing up in the Northeast, where, like Jess said, where the ground is more clay-like, I mean, all the horses had at least studs in the hind. I mean, and that was even when I was jumping, you know, two, three. More so just because, especially growing up, I mean, our horses, we didn't have grass to ride on. So they They weren't used to it. Exactly. And And they weren't young horses. So they kind of get slippery and they get uncomfortable. And that's kind of where you do have to, for sure, in that situation. Like, and that's kind of what we would do eventing. Like if we had, you know, an older horse and like, you know, an amateur person on it, I'd probably stud that one just because I don't want them to slip out. And if Doug and I will just kick them, you know, and make them go forward, and you know, like, oh, they're a little slippery. That's not going to phase us. But for the amateurs, then I would put it in in that situation just for more. Yeah, it gets more of that, you know, make sure it's not making the rider nervous at that sense, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially for me growing up, the horse that I did a lot of the children's ex stuff on and all that stuff. She actually had shivers in her left hind. So we oftentimes, when we would take her to shows that were on grass, we would make sure she was studded in the hind because otherwise she wouldn't feel confident enough to do her hind lead changes. So that kind of gave her a little extra grab in the ground so that she would be more confident in that. But aside from that, I guess like what I do for studying now, I, you know, I haven't shown on grass in many moons. And I, and I think back doing like hunter paces and stuff. I never studied for those, but all of my horses that have shoes on do actually get like the itty bitty, like, I mean, they're not even, I mean, they're like, they don't exist in your stud packs. They're so small, but yeah. they get those all the way around in the winter so that they don't slip. So it's, it's actually kind of scary recently. A lot of, I've known of three barns now that have actually had to euthanize for broken legs because yeah because these horses are you know they keep them cooped up because it's so cold so cold and then they put them out and they you know slip on the ice when they're playing around and stuff which is horrifying i wouldn't you know wish that on anybody so just as an added precaution like once the ground starts to freeze any of my horses with uh, shoes on get studs all the way around. And even actually, you know, Batman, when he was rideable, you know, we wouldn't do any reining type maneuvers in the winter because I would take him out of his plates and put him in studs behind just as a safety precaution. So that would be the only time I've really studded recently, at least. Gotcha. I mean, I've never put on a pair of studs on any horse I've owned. I've just never been in a situation where, that felt warranted, but I thought it was a good discussion. Um, no, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Did you try him with Mikey? Did it work? No. So I didn't. So, you know, like the farrier set it up for me and I was like, I, I don't trust myself that I, I know what I'm doing <laughs> though. Ellie suggested it and it felt like a good idea. But then I, I went and took a dressage lesson like two days after we talked Ellie and where I hauled into a, you know, I ride on grass at my home farm and then I hauled into my dressage lesson and was in like a real ar- arena with textured footing and had no problem with the slipping out behind and talked to my mm-hmm. trainer. And she's just like, well, he was on stall rest and he hasn't been working. I feel like it's more of that than it is anything else. And I think she was right because I really the problem is becoming less and less the more he works. So oh, that's good. That's an easy yeah. fix for sure. <laughs> Definitely. I know. But it was I was worried about it in the beginning. So I'm glad it's sort of resolving itself. All right, guys, it's time for Rose and Thorne. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. All right. 
So my rose is, I have to thank Ellie. So I've told Justine, but I was going to surprise Ellie as it being my rose, but (laughs) I kind of gave it away earlier (laughs) in the episode that I was so excited that I've like wanted to keep texting her, but I've actually saved it for the listeners so that everybody could see how like shocked Ellie was. But we have to thank you so much because you have been our lifesaver. Like Doug's like, this is the best thing ever. I'm like, we're going to have to tell Ellie, like you're going to have to send pictures to her because the tarp has been amazing. We can ride at eight o'clock in the morning with like you walked, you like trot around and if you go to the outside, you sound like you're trotting on like asphalt. You go to the ring. No, no sound, nothing. You go like, and it's still the same footing, but it's what's been covered. What's not covered because we started with a hundred by hundred tarp. So it covers just about half of our arena. And so we have to thank Ellie so much because she has been our lifesaver. She has been able, like, we can ride at eight o'clock in the morning. We can flat our horses. And then, you know, by 11 or 12, when it warms up, we can jump everybody. But with the all-weather footing, it takes a while to, like, warm up. Because it's not like once it's above 32 degrees, it's like, oh, you can use the ring. It takes a little bit of a hot minute. So we have been very thankful that we have not had to have, like, one o'clock delayed openings every day that we can still get our stuff done in the mornings and ride everybody. So we really have to thank Ellie. So that is 1000% our, my rose and, and my girl's rose and Doug's and our entire What kind of tarp did you end up getting? So I looked into some that you sent me and by the way, those were like $3,000. Um, Oh, sorry. (laughs) Or or that type. It was like, Oh, I know, but I needed the idea. So I still appreciate the sending of it because then I could start Googling and I knew what to kind of Google. So then I started Googling and there was one that was like 50% off. I don't even know if it was like for sale of, I just got lucky or something or whatever, but it's an industrial heavy duty tarp. It's a hundred by hundred. So like I said, it almost covers half of our arena. I think our arena is 125 by 200. So it's a good portion. Like it's a couple of good circles. Like I can counter canter in it and all this. And like, it's super helpful. And so I got it. I'd have to share the link. I'll have to find it. But I basically, it's like a heavy duty tarp and one side is black and the underside is silver. And so it really does help, I think, keep it insulated. So we just roll it up and put it to the side of the ring, which scares the bejesus out of our horses. Like they hate it because it's like blowing on the side. We've like desensitized all of our horses. And like, especially when you're having a flat next to it. And then we just like roll it back up and like put standards on it or rails or whatever. We had one day that the wind, it was like all through the North, like that day that all of uh, New Hampshire and everybody else like had snow drifts and everything. Well, we had really bad winds and it did try to take flight that day. Like that was kind of a little (laughs) sketchy, but other than that, it's been really easy and you don't have to like, you know, really, we had like all the jumps on it that day because it was like taking flight. But other than that, it's just, it's a heavy duty tarp that was the big size that we could get. And it was a couple hundred dollars. Oh, that's not bad. I know. Yeah, I think it was like five or six hundred dollars, and I was like, sold, done. Woohoo. I'm so, so glad yeah. that worked. It was better than the thirty five hundred dollar one I saw. I was like, oh, we cannot afford that one. <laughs> like, no way. 
We're just going to have to save this for all of our knowledges that sometimes I do have good ideas. This was a really, really good one to say. I'm going to need you to text Matt and just tell him because he's the hardest one to convince. Oh, yeah. No, no. You've convinced the whole, like our whole entire like team is like Team Ellie right now for this tarp. Maybe not the day it almost took flight. Nobody was really a fan that day because it almost took us flight as well. So that was fun. But then my thorn is, it seems to be getting better throughout the day, but it's today has been a day. We were coming down to Ocala. We're showing this week and we're super excited, but our big toter home tried to die on Courtney a couple of times. We call him Frank. And Courtney was like going 40 miles an hour and then 15 miles an hour and then had to pull over. And then we got the shipper that we use. He drove up to go rescue our horses like up by Jacksonville. And then I think they might have fixed it. It might have just been bad fuel, which would be fingers crossed. So it's going in the shop tomorrow. So hopefully it's not like terrible, terrible. But like Courtney is still not here yet. So... (laughs) It has been a long day of poor Courtney that left at 4 a.m. this morning, and she's still not no gala. Oh, my gosh. So, Courtney and the nanny are still there, and so still trying to get here. So, it's been, like, everything. And then we were driving, and, like, we're calling all the things, because at one point, we're trying to get records, and we're trying to do this. And, like, all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, I got to get on the podcast. I got to go. And Doug misses a turn, and I'm like, oh, a 30-minute detour is coming. I'm like, we're this is just (laughs) never going to happen today. And I have to tell you, Hudson loves his directions. And he's like, dad, dad, you missed the turn. Dad, you're supposed to turn left. And he's like, no, no, I think I'm good. And I pulled, I'm like, oh no, you missed the turn. You missed the turn. And I'm like, just keep going straight. We can't turn the truck and trailer around. I'm like, we're just detouring. And it turns out he missed two turns. So it was, it was a lot. So we're here, we made it. And Courtney's almost here. So it's not terrible, but that is, it's just been a, thorn day basically it's been a day wow it's been a day so that would be my thorn and <laughs> the least bit so hopefully you guys have better good days you had a better day today i don't even know how to say that you it's not really making sense <laughs> at this point oh my gosh ellie you go so i guess i would have to say that my rose is that batman is is looking really good um so that's he, huge I yeah know. so he He's starting to hand walk and he's off of his butte. So he's back on his Equiox. So he's still on something for comfort. But we we had kind of a setback about a week ago where I pulled him out of his stall to clean it. And he was like toe touching lame and they were worried about joint infection. So I had to rush him back up to the hospital and I'm freaking out. Like I called my mom because I honestly was like, I mean, if the joint's infected, you know, there's really your odds are slim, you know? So I was really not thinking I was going to come back with a horse. So I was trying to mentally kind of prepare for that. Um, Yeah, it was not a fun drive, but thankfully uh, it looks like he might've just kind of either, you know, laid down in the stall and, you know, struggled to get back up or something. It looks like there was just, when they tapped it, there was no infection, thank God, but there was some fresh blood So kind of like he just either tore it a little more or tweaked it somehow in the stall. So that set us back like a week or so in terms of his ute regiment. Yeah. But he's, he's looking really well now. He, you know, he's definitely, you know, short in both of his hind legs, but he's walking, you know, sound and even in both hind legs. 
and he's been so naughty. Oh, <laughs> um, boy. Oh. So, and this is really funny because Batman is like, like ground manners. He's got the best out of anybody, but he's getting to the point where I think he feels good enough to like go do things and he doesn't understand why he can't. So we had to have a conversation when we were hand walking that uh, we could not just pull and run away. So he did actually gallop down the long side um, the other day. So thankfully I was able to catch him and he still looks sound. Thank God. But I was like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to do this for a whole year? Right. <laughs> he's been so naughty and he's yeah. So he's he's struggling. He's been very mouthy. So he we basically play tug of war the whole time for our hand walks. He holds on to the lead rope and I hold on to the other end. And I just hope he doesn't bite me instead. So fingers crossed that I, I called the hospital today because his stem cells are supposedly taking a long time to grow. So hopefully those will be ready and we can get him rechecked and then kind of go from there. But then uh, my thorn would be that my insurance didn't freaking cover the surgery. No. Gosh, insurance is the pain. worst with that stuff. I'm, That's awful. I'm really, I, I'm trying to rebuttal it or trying to do my best there. But I guess that, and I, you know, and I've had horses insured my entire life and I've never claimed hawk injections or stifle injections because they're regular maintenance. But now they're saying that since I didn't claim his stifle injections from like two years ago that a torn meniscus is a pre-existing condition. And I'm like, how is that even possible? So unfortunately, and, and fortunately there is no like number for me to call because I probably would have called and said some very bad things um, <laughs> to the insurance company because like, what's the point of having it if they're not going to cover, you know, if they're excluding it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. You know, so hopefully I can at least get them to budge a little bit and cover some of his stem cells. I'll make it work. I'll split it up on credit cards, but it's just frustrating. And I'm just kind of, you know, angry with the whole equine insurance institution right now. <laughs> For uh, so sure. That, that would be my thorn. I mean, especially as a person, right, with a pre existing condition, it's starting to really anger me that, you know, they're not covering these things for horses. Especially when, you know, it was so not a pre-existing condition. It's not like he had a broken leg, I didn't claim. You know what I mean? Like, he got stifle injections that's our maintenance. So anyway, I'm cranky, but yeah. <laughs> but he's doing good. So that's all I can ask for. So to say, the rose beats the thorn, at least. Yeah. Absolutely. So what about you, Justine? Oh, goodness. Okay, so I'll start with my thorn. It's sort of a silly one, but... I don't know if I've told you guys this, but I hate the dentist, not the horse dentist, the people dentist. It's just the worst thing for me. Like, I just, I don't know. It's just. <laughs> Does I, it hurt? I, I, and that's why you don't funny. like it? No, I'm not. Doug doesn't like it. He's sensitive. I'm not, like, no, no. as a kid? And it's only like recently, like I've never like, you know, was afraid of the dentist, but I did have braces. I've, you know, gone, I've had my wisdom teeth out, but I used to have a very cool dentist where I live here in St. Pete, where his name was Dr. Craig and he used to rescue bunnies from the SPCA and he created this insane <laughs> rabbit habitat out of his office. So every like patient room you went into, it had like from ceiling to floor glass windows and you could look out at the bunny habitats. So you could, like, so it was the coolest dentist. That like, sounds super cool. He rescued rabbits and you could watch them while, you know, your hygienist clean your teeth. It was so cool. 
Well, then he got old and he he sold the practice. And so another, you know, another dentist bought him out, but kept the place with the bunnies. But then like somehow it caught on fire. I don't know. It's a long story. But anyways, now I hate the new dentist through the pandemic. You know, like my interest in going to the dentist is even less. And so I'm at this point where I have scheduled my, you know, annual biannual teeth cleaning appointment like so many times and then just have not showed up for it that I got a letter in the mail from my dentist that they're (laughs) (laughs) that they're uh, one I have to pay a fine the next time I go back and if I oh my gosh if I ghost to one more time they're gonna drop me is what they told me I got a letter in the mail from the dentist this week and my husband is like Oh my God, the dentist is trying to fire you. Like, like who are that's, you? That's getting fired by your dentist. Get, yeah, I, that's hard to do, I think. I know. I, yeah, I mean, I've, we definitely did that to a few clients in like small animal practice, like when they stop showing up for appointments. Sure. I, <laughs> um, I mean, I totally but I've understand. never heard of it for a dentist. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm terrible, but I just, you know, I've never liked them since my poor Dr. Craig retired. And I don't know what happened to the rabbits. Like, I drive by his old office all the time because it was very convenient to my house. And I'm always like, what happened to the rabbits? And the new Are you office. trying to blame rabbits for your? Yeah, I hate <laughs> the dentist. I liked my my dentist with the rabbits, and now I have a different one, and it sucks. But anyways, Alex, my husband is just like, you know, in the pandemic, you know how hard it is to like like join another, you know, medical that practice. That'd be hard. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, you can't mess this up, and I'm like, well, I think I already messed it up. <laughs> you just can't lose it now. He's like, you like, I have to go back and grovel to the dentist. So, um, that's my thorn (laughs) is that I got a letter from my dentist about being a bad patient. So I guess my rose would be, well, I guess it's, it's sort of, it begins as a thorn, but then will become a rose. So hang with me guys. So I, our first event of the year was at Grand Oaks last month, which is beautiful place. Jess, I don't know if you've been there, but I love it. I haven't been. Is it beautiful? It is very beautiful. They do one horse trial a year. So it's sort of like a special event, but they do a lot of carriage driving there. They do like rated dressage shows, but it's just a really beautiful property. It's like you can stay in cottages on the facility. I was very excited to do this horse trial for the first time. So I get there with my friend. We get tacked up. We have a bunch of girlfriends who came to hang with us for the weekend and like watch the horse show. We're in the dressage warm up, and Mikey goes lame. Like out of nowhere, like he, we warmed up for like 25 minutes, totally fine. They call my number and I had to like walk across the road to get to the indoor where I was showing. And all of a sudden he's got a head bob, like he's lame. And so I had a scratch like there, like I got off, I checked my tack, I checked his feet, I checked his legs, got back on. He was still lame. It was terrible. And I had to scratch. So then I went down this terrible rabbit hole of, you know, like what's wrong with my horse? And my vet came out and we assessed him and she did x-rays. She did ultrasounds. We couldn't find anything new that was wrong. It was all old track related injuries that, you know, I knew were there. And, you know, so a very expensive vet bill later showed that there were no problems, but we gave him a week off just in case. And he's been sound every day since. Maybe he just didn't want a horse show that day. I don't know. But now it's you know, like there's that fear in the back of your head, like what was wrong? You know, I'm worried about him, but he feels great right now. Like I, um, he's hacking out, 
everything seems normal. So I sent entries off to another horse show at the end of the month. So that's my rose is fingers crossed. It all goes well. We can get back on track because I was hoping to do this particular horse show and move up to training, but we're going to run one more novice and just make sure he feels good and everything's good and reevaluate the training level goals. But so anyways, my rose is that I'm happy that he's sound and we'll see how it goes. But gosh, horses, right? It's like, oh my goodness. Like, I can't figure out what's wrong. So hopefully that means it was just a weird day and nothing is wrong, you know? Yeah, it was probably just a weird day. And that's what I just, fingers cross it, you know? I mean, I wake up and I'm lame sometimes and I don't know what happens. (laughs) So yeah. Maybe That's he just, point. you know, he he twinged something, stepped funny, and now he he's... He didn't really feel like day. showing that day. Yeah. I know. He just it's, wanted to cost me a bajillion dollars, I think, is exactly what he wanted it. to. So, <laughs> so we'll see. But all right, we've got a mailbag. This is from Caitlin in our Facebook group. She is feeling bummed that she can't really ride much right now. She lives in a place where it is really cold. And her ground is either frozen or she can't get out to the barn before it's dark. Her farm has a wonderful outdoor arena, but it doesn't have lights. So that's not helping her either. And she just wants to know, what do you do with your horses, you know, in the wintertime? You know, when the weather breaks, when your horses aren't feral, like what, what should she be trying to do knowing that it's just a hard time to try to log rides right now? I figured, Ellie, you might be a good person to talk. <laughs> I was going to say, Ellie, I feel say, like this is really good. This is I feel like say, you sent this in. <laughs> I was going to say absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> I have not ridden a horse since Christmas. And that's just because it's been too cold. The days that it is, you know, moderately okay. It's like in the middle of the day and I have a job. So I, I definitely feel that. I am lucky to you know, have an indoor arena. But I think I think everyone needs to cut themselves a break when they live in a place that has a winter climate. Because realistically, if it's five degrees, it's not good to be riding your horse anyway. And I think that's something that a lot of people get bent out of shape about. But the thing is, you know, I mean, my personal preference and what I feel is best for horses in general, is I do not ride if it is under 20 degrees, especially since I've got older horses. And, you know, if they're really not in shape, I'm like, I wouldn't want to run right now. I can't breathe. Why would I make them do it? Um, 100%. So, and even, you know, the other day it was too cold to use my sleigh. And I was so excited because the snow was perfect. I had Matt plow me a nice track, but it was freezing and I wasn't going to make my horse pull me around in the snow. So the biggest thing, Caitlin, is cut yourself a break. It's okay to just go and brush your horse. I promise you, your horse doesn't really care. As long as it's getting out and it's, you know, able to just be a horse, that's an okay job for the winner. And I'm trying to convince myself of that too now. So that's maybe why I sound so passionate about it. But in terms of the light situation, I would recommend, I know Matt has these really cool, I mean, they're super bright, like blind you bright, like lights, like construction type lights that he uses sometimes for like interior painting jobs like in houses and I think they plug in but I think there are some that have like actual like batteries like normal batteries you'd use for like a screwdriver so like if you got something like that where you could use it when it's dark out I mean it might take some adjusting your horse to but I mean they see better than us in the dark so as long as there aren't like you know things you really need to avoid in your arena like you know 
large holes or trees or something, that would probably work just fine. But I think the biggest thing is just give yourself a break, you know? I think that's exactly it. I think give yourself a break and just enjoy him. Like go play with him, go do that. And then know that like, yes, he might be a bit feral when you bring him back. So like maybe you have to just plan some extra days for lunging him or, you know, letting him just kind of get back in it and kind of just give yourself that time to go back slowly and then enjoy the weather once it gets beautiful again. Yeah, I feel like that's great advice. I feel like we put more pressure on ourselves than, you know, like the horses don't care that they're not working, you know? They're no, just they, happy. I mean, they really don't. <laughs> no, they really don't at all. They're just happy that you're there to see them and spend time with them. So, yeah, mine are like, give me the grain and leave. Berkeley's accepted the fact that he's basically retired. I'm like, what? I was like, Berkeley, it hasn't even been that long. I rode you on Christmas. He's like, yep, I'm feral now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> plus, all mine are so hairy right now that if I tried to ride them, I'd end up having to, you know, dry them off for four hours. Oh, huh. so springtime is going to be fun. I'm going to need <laughs> I'm going to need a seatbelt <laughs> for sure. Oh, my goodness. So if you have a question for us and you want us to answer it on the air, you can always send us an email by going to hello at heelsdownmedia.com. Or you can join our Facebook group, which is the Heels Down Happy Hour Podcast Lounge. And if you want to hear more from us, you should subscribe to the Heels Down Spark. You can do that by going to bit.ly slash spark by HD. And we really want to say thank you to our partner this week, Purina. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.